letter to the Romans? What then are we to say? Should we continue in sin in order that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin go on living in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we have been buried with him by baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. The word of the Lord. I've violated my reluctance to preach. Uh, we have three really wonderful preachers in this church. I think I don't know of any other church in this presbytery that has three superb preachers the way we do and. Normally, I would much rather listen to them than to sound off up here. But um, I learned that not only is uh, Molly supposed to be having a sabbatical, but that uh, we're supposed to be having a sabbatical. I've never seen a church have a sabbatical. And I became fascinated with what, what that could mean for us to have a sabbatical. A sabbatical is supposed to be a time when a, a pastor gets um, three months to go and refresh and renew and re recamp, prepare. And I think it's a good idea that all of us in the church should have a sabbatical. And uh, so I wanted to take the liberty of offering three challenges to you this morning of what I hope can happen among us while Molly is having her sabbatical. I was told by the man who taught me preaching that every sermon ought to have three points. Uh, I heard him give a sermon once on uh, America's high standard of living. And uh, his three points were, number one, it's not high. Number two, it's not a standard. And number three, it isn't living. <laughs> but uh, I would like seriously to offer three things that I hope we can take the challenge so that when Molly returns, we will have some things to tell her, as well as she, I'm sure, will have things to tell us. The first of the three uh, challenges is, uh, how well are we doing at building relationships in this church? How well are we doing at building relationships in this church? Jesus, when he called the disciples, when he called the disciples, he said, follow me. That's all he said, two words. And they followed him. And the first thing they had to do was to become a community, which they did. And then uh, he taught them. 
And the first great sermon he preached to them was the uh, Beatitudes. They're listed in, the, in your, uh, uh, on one side of the, uh, this word here. And uh, this is something I've used in a different setting. It'll probably make you laugh. On one side are the Beatitudes, and on the other side are alternatives. And uh, uh, I've used this as, a, and you could use it as a rating scale. As you look at the Beatitudes, on a scale of one to ten, how would you rate yourself on each of the Beatitudes? And uh, then on the other side, you can, if you want to, rate yourself on the alternatives. And the reason I added the alternatives, I was using this with a group, and uh, uh, we were rating politicians. And we got into trouble because they found it hard to give much of any rating uh, of the Beatitudes to, to the politicians. So I added the alternatives so they'd have uh, some more choices. And The, the politicians had big ratings on the alternatives. <laughs> but uh, how, I've noticed uh, as a church, we're very good at worrying about uh, what to do to help other people. And uh, that's good. But I think we find it harder to rate ourselves. How would you rate yourselves on each of those Beatitudes? And how, how would you rate yourselves on the alternatives? Uh, I think it's a useful exercise. But um, in this case, how would you rate yourselves on the way we're building relationships in this community? Uh, found it interesting that uh, in, that, in this service, we always uh, bow our hat to um, each other, uh, the peace of Christ be with you and also with you. We do it in about three minutes. By contrast, some of you are familiar with the uh, Free Minds Book Club, uh, these young men who are coming out of prison, and uh, they, uh, these people who care about them uh, have taught them how to uh, write poetry. And it's a very empowering thing for these kids coming out of uh, prison because when they learn to write poetry, uh, they can express themselves, all the feelings they have, and uh, all of the pain that they have, and so forth. And uh, it's a very healing experience. And uh, uh, many of these prisoners have, have had long periods of uh, uh, 
what we call solitary confinement, which is a vicious type of uh, torture where you are not allowed to speak to anybody for maybe a, a month or five months. It also sometimes springs to the years. You get, can't talk to anybody. And uh, so uh, when they get out of prison, talking to other people uh, is very important. So when they have their meetings, it's a two-hour meeting, and the first hour is, uh, is uh, the power of affirmation, uh, an hour of doing what we do in three minutes uh, in terms of the peace of Christ be with you. Because they really want to talk to the other people that they know have had the kind of experience that they've had. And they support each other. And it's very powerful. The second goal I offer you is... Uh, Well, first I want to say this. How can we do more in terms of building relationships among us? I won't suggest that we take an hour of the Sunday morning service to uh, say the peace of Christ be with you. But uh, I can think of a couple of things. One is, what would happen if when we uh, uh, get downstairs for coffee, uh, at least once a month, more if you're up to it, find somebody that you really don't know and uh, talk to them and find out uh, who they are, how long have they been in this church, uh, what, they, what, what did they like about this church, what troubles them about this church, and be willing to share your feelings like this so that uh, at least... whenever you can, we're creating new relationships within the, uh, not superficial relationships, but really relationships. Another suggestion I'd make to you about this is that uh, there's about eight of us. We have a little uh, uh, group of, we, we meet two Sunday nights a month and uh, each of us takes a turn uh, leading a Bible discussion. And then after we do that, we go around the circle and everybody sort of reports in on uh, how their life is going and so forth. And it's been fascinating to me that for the first three or four years that we had this group, uh, everybody was nice and Rosie, and we had good Bible study discussions. But I noticed that everybody always, when they were reporting them themselves, everything's wonderful. Everything's fine. But along about the fourth year of our membership, they began to realize that uh, they, they weren't really sharing what they needed to share. And so in this group, uh, Sometimes they would report things that weren't so fine and things they were struggling with. And I could feel that that part of the program 
went from 15 minutes each time to 45 minutes or an hour each time. And that's when it really became a support group. And it's made a big difference in our lives. Uh, I can invite you to join it because we've discovered that having about eight people is the most you can do this with. If you had 50 people, it wouldn't work. So if any of you want to start new support groups, I'd be glad to help you do it. But there's a couple of the ways that we could uh, work on relationships in our life together. Now, my next question is, uh, what's the purpose of worship? What's the purpose of worship? Uh, I visited this church. Uh, it'll, it'll be 50 years in June that we've been related to this church. And um, I can't remember the times at, at coffee hour when people would say to each other, did the pastor preach a good sermon this morning? And I'm happy to report that almost always people were answered in the affirmative. Yeah, the pastor preached a good sermon this morning. Uh, but uh, is the purpose of worship for us to give the pastor a report card? I heard a, a, a story from Scotland about this. Uh, there was a very pious elder in a Scottish church, and uh, he had a funny habit. Uh, each time on Sunday, when the plate was passed for everybody, uh, he put in a little piece of paper that wasn't money. And when they looked at these pieces of paper, they were IOUs. And so on one Sunday, uh, he put a little piece of paper, IOU $10. And the next Sunday, if the sermon was maybe a little more exciting, he put in an IOU for $20. And it seemed like a weird thing. He would pile up these IOUs, and then after six months, he'd come in and pay up his dues. Uh, and it seemed to be all right, except that uh, the Sunday came when uh, the piece of paper was said, uh, you owe me 50 bucks. The purpose of the worship is not to give uh, the ratings to our pastors. The, the purpose of worship, the question for us to be asking is not uh, uh, did the preacher preach a good sermon today? The question we should be asking is uh, from my experience of worship today, which includes the sermon, but it also includes the scriptures and the hymns and the prayers and the whole bit. But from the, my experience in worship today, what have I learned about 
how my life has to be changed. In 50 years, I've heard the first question asked hundreds of times. In the 50 years, I've never heard out loud anyone ask that second question. And I think that's the question we really need to be asking about the meaning of worship. What, how does my life need to be changed so, and to be transformed? And again, we can use the free minds people because with, when they meet for two hours on a night, the first hour is talking to each other about what's happening in their lives. And then the second hour, they'll have two or three of their number uh, give testimonies and get up in front and tell how horrible their experiences were in prison and uh, what's happened since and what's happening now and what are they grateful for and what are their hopes and the amazing thing is you picture a group of 75 or 100 young adults, not all of whom, but many of whom have had the prison experience, have had the experience of solitary confinement. And uh, while these people are giving their testimonies, the whole crowd is just cheering them on. Try to imagine if you would spent, say, some months or years in, in uh, solitary confinement, and then you suddenly were in front of a group of people who were just cheering you on. It has to be overpowering, and it is. So that the second question is, can we reclaim the worship as an issue of how does my life need to change? Not what do I need to do to, to help other people change, which is what we often do. These two exercises of sharing and hearing can remind us how much we need God and how much we need each other. The third question I want to ask is, uh, what is Christian hope? As I think a lot of us are mixed up about that. I often hear well-meaning Christians respond to that question, oh yes, there's very much to be discouraged about. But if we hang in there and if we work hard and try harder, things will really work out in the long run. If I ever say that to you, please give me a buck, kick in the butt. That's not what Christian hope is about. Christian hope is not about what we need to do to fix things. Christian hope is about learning to live the Beatitudes. Christian hope is what God does to us, not what we should do to someone else. There are many reasons to lament the plight of our nation, which has become the opposite the nation in which I grew up. Uh, I don't know about you, but when I was a child, all through public school, from kindergarten to graduation from high school, every morning 
we would all stand up and pledge of allegiance. Do they still do that on every morning? I'm glad to hear it. I'm surprised to hear it because uh, the, uh, the place I grew up in was a different America. Let me make my case. Uh, we would always start out our Pledge of Allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, indivisible. When's the last time our Congress was indivisible? They're hopelessly divided, and that's the way it wanted to be, because uh, as it's hopelessly divided, they can't be held accountable for, for the, doing what they're supposed to do, which is to lead us. So, one nation indivisible, we can't say that because we're hopelessly divided and our leaders want it that way. But then it goes on, one nation under God. What evidence do you see of the presence of God from the way our leaders are behaving? Can't say that. And then it said after that, it's uh, with liberty and justice for all. Well, we can't say that because uh, our nation is steadily becoming more and more unjust. Uh, there's a book, hand me that. Elizabeth Warren, one of my favorites. But she has a page and has, gives this information. Uh, from the eight, 1980 to 2015, that's 35 years. And in that period, the bottom 90% received no increase in money. And the 10% received the 100% of all the additional money that came in. That's not liberty and justice for all. Uh, my Christian hope is that no matter how bad things get, we will always be able to follow Jesus by living the Beatitudes. I don't have any illusions that things are going to get better. I think they may get worse. And uh, what we need to do is to concentrate on following Jesus by living the Beatitudes. Take the list of the Beatitudes and think about those if that's our agenda there that Jesus wants to follow. Uh, we'll do it not to make America great, but to witness to Jesus as Lord. I want to close this with a, a story, a true story. In the year 1636, there was a huge war in Germany between the Protestants and the Catholics. And uh, uh, there was this one city that was besieged by the Catholics, uh, and the people in the city were, 
couldn't get out of the city to, to get food or water. And in the year 1636, uh, the people of that church, that city, buried 4,400 of their people who died of starvation. And uh, almost every day, they probably had to bury over 100 people a day. They dig a big trench and put them in and cover it over. And the, there was only one pastor left in the city. His name was Martin Rinkert. And Martin decided he needed to write a hymn to just restore the hope of his people. And so he wrote the hymn, which we're about to sing now, called, Now Thank We All Our God. And when we sing it, I want you to pretend that we are that city and that we, we every day for the last year, we've had to bury a hundred of our people who died of starvation. And if you can, if you can imagine being those people and singing this hymn and having it meaningful, then you, you understand what Christian hope is all about. 